This morning we're continuing on in our Advent series, Do Not Be Afraid, and we're um, hearing the same story, actually, that we already heard this morning, uh, birth, or, um, the angel appearing to Zechariah. So I'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Luke 1, chapter, uh, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they both were very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to him to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Silence can be a sign of many things. Not always good things. We may be fearful of silence, especially when it comes at an unexpected time. Like if the kids are 
busy playing in the next room, and all of a sudden it becomes very quiet. The adult in charge might worry that they would enter the room to see a wall full of permanent marker, or scissors in one hand and a chunk of hair from their sibling's head in the other. We are suspicious of silence. Or if a friend gets in an argument with another and storms off, leaving their relationship in silence for days, for weeks, or months, well, we probably wouldn't say that's a picture of a healthy relationship. Silence for too long can mean that communication has broken down. It can be a sign of trouble. And folks who make suspense or thriller movies know that the thing more suspenseful than shrill and tense music is, of course, silence. Silence creates suspense. It can be a sign of many things. Not all of them are good. As the Gospel writer Luke opens his orderly account of Jesus' life, we enter a time in the life of Israel that is characterized by God's silence. When the Old Testament ends, God's people have been allowed to return to their land after a period of exile. They heard from God clearly through the prophets who warned of God's punishment for their sins, but who had also promised that after that punishment, they would return and God would reestablish their nation. These prophets had promised that shoot from the stump of Jesse, someone to sit on David's throne again, to make them an everlasting kingdom. And so there they were, at the end of the Old Testament, back in their land, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and the temple, waiting for these things to happen. But their expectant hope upon return to the land was met with silence from God for generations. There were false starts, people who claimed to be Israel's Messiah, people who they thought they could put their hope in, who they thought were God's prophets, who they thought were God's Messiahs sent to reestablish this kingdom as an everlasting one. But those hopes were all disappointed. God remained silent as Israel aged, unable to produce the rebirth of their own nation. Zechariah and Elizabeth come onto the scene as a kind of microcosm of what's happening in Israel at large. Now, despite being a righteous couple and faithful in their duties, even blameless, their prayers to God have been met with silence. This aging couple living out in the Judean countryside, they'd been praying for a child for so long. And it's important for Luke to tell his readers that they were righteous and blameless, since people assumed that not being able to have children was a sign of God's judgment on the woman, specifically. Not so, says Luke. They had not done anything wrong, and still God remained silent as they got older. So in both cases, in Israel at large and for Zechariah and Elizabeth, the waiting had been so prolonged that hope 
was beginning to feel futile. God's silence was not taken as a good sign. But still, Zechariah was faithful to his duties as a priest, and so the time came for his group of priests from the countryside to travel to the big city, Jerusalem, to serve at the temple. They'd do this about twice a year. But this time, something special happened when Zechariah's name was chosen by Lot to go into the holy place in the temple. Out of sight of the Gentiles in their court of Gentiles, out of sight of the Jewish women in the outer court of women, out of sight of even the most devout Jewish men in the inner court, only one step removed from the Holy of Holies. He would be the one to burn incense on the altar. This was a -a once-in-a-lifetime event for a priest like Zechariah. He would never get this close to God again. And so he walks up the 12 steps into the holy, pit, the holy place, past the elaborate golden lampstand with oil lamps flickering on his left, past the golden table with 12 loaves of bread on the table, lined up neatly in two rows of six. And he finds himself standing before the altar with frankincense, stacked tea, anika, galbanum in hand. The smell is overwhelming as the smoke of the incense rises up to God, symbolizing those prayers of God rising up to him. These prayers and smells rose up to God as all those gathered for worship prayed for God to break his silence, to restore their nation. As they prayed for God to show up for his people, like he used to do in the days of David and Solomon, the great kings. We come to see that Zechariah was apparently praying too. He'd been praying for a child. His prayers rising up to God like that incense, waiting for God to break his silence in his own life, in the life of Elizabeth, as they waited and they hoped for a child. God's silence was taken as a sign of trouble, a sign of God's absence. Silence can be a sign of many things. Not all of them are good. And like God's people from long ago, we have some bad associations with silence. It can make us uncomfortable. A professor of communications from Charles Sturt University did a five-year study of almost 600 university students to try and figure out how comfortable they were with silence. One student shared, when there is no noise in my room, it scares me. Another shared, it seems I can't stand the silence. One student talked about how she'd gone to the library to work on an assignment for class, but then she had to return to her room and grab her iPod to listen to because the library was actually too quiet. She couldn't even focus. And just in case we're tempted to make this a younger generation problem, the study showed evidence that this was learned behavior. Like one student who shared the television was switched on by my parents early in the morning for the news and then just left on, even though no one was watching it. 
Other students shared similar stories of TV or radio constantly buzzing in the background of their homes as they grew up. And so as part of the study, students were asked to spend just an hour walking or sitting, reading in a very quiet place. And this is when they became aware of just how uncomfortable it made them. One student said, the lack of noise made me uncomfortable. It actually felt foreboding. And another, perhaps because media consistently surrounds us today, we have a fear of peace and quiet. Silence in general can make us uncomfortable. But the stakes are even higher when we start to talk about experiencing God's silence. God's people have struggled with God's silence, with God's seeming absence for as long as there have been God's people. We see this in the Psalms. Of course, we see it with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we see it throughout church history. In fact, it's such a common phenomena that this experience of God's silence in your life has a name. It's called the dark night or the dark night of the soul. Now, this term has kind of been co-opted by more popular culture just to refer to really difficult circumstances or a kind of inner turmoil or depression. But it really comes from the Christian tradition. Even so, it has a bit of a polarizing history in the church because as a term, it comes from the Catholic mystic branch of Christianity. But the experience itself has been felt by God's people regardless of tradition or denomination, regardless of how you feel about Catholic mystics. It refers to this feeling of being separated from God. It's that experience of when you do devotions every day, when you pray consistently, when you join worship every Sunday, when you do all the things that you're supposed to do to feel close to God, but it feels like it's completely one-sided. It can last for days, for weeks, even for years. But it's different than just general hardships because, of course, people who go through general hardships do often experience the close presence of God. Famously, St. Teresa of Calcutta, or Mother Teresa, experienced this kind of dark night of the soul for the last 50 years of her life. For the last 50 years of her life, she said she rarely felt the presence of God, even as she continued to radiate God's love for the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. She was, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, faithful and righteous in her pursuit of God, but her faithfulness was met with silence. This is a dark night of the soul. We might say a silent night of the soul. But not the nice silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright kind of silence. More of the uncomfortable, foreboding, even fear-inducing kind. Here in the Gospel of Luke, 
God breaks this centuries-long silence through the message of an angel who appears to Zechariah as he is standing there in front of the incense. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Zechariah's fear is almost certainly, first of all, a fear of the angel's appearance. I mean, we don't know exactly what this messenger from God looked like, but we can almost be sure it's not quite like the nice little kids we see in Christmas pageants with their sparkly wings. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. The messenger from God speaks to Zechariah's deeper fear. The fear that silence from God meant that God had not heard him. The fear that his prayers only got about as far as that smoke from the incense. His was a fear that God's silence was a sign of something worse, of covenants broken beyond repair, of God abandoning his promises and his people, even of God being displeased with Zechariah and Elizabeth. God breaks his silence and sends a messenger to Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. The promise of this child, John, is doubly good news. God broke the silence to Zechariah and Elizabeth by promising them a child, but God also was breaking his silence to Israel by promising that this child would be the one to prepare the way for God's Messiah. N.T. Wright speaks about this double good news. He says the story is about much more than Zechariah's joy at finally having a son, or Elizabeth's exaltation and being freed from the scorn of mothers in the village. It's about the great fulfillment of God's promises and purposes in the whole of Israel. But N.T. Wright goes on, he says, the needs, the hopes, and fears of ordinary people are not lost in the larger story precisely because of who Israel's God is, the God of lavish, self-giving love. God is breaking his silence on a large scale, but in the process, he has not overlooked the hopes and the fears of those regular, everyday, faithful, quiet people. Do not fear. God sees the big picture and the small picture. Now, this is a lot to take in for Zechariah. I mean, maybe the incense is making him a little dizzy. Maybe he thinks he's seeing things or hearing things. And so he asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm so old. So is my wife. And the angel replies, well, you may be old, but I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God who has sent me to share this good news. So you want a sign? Here's your sign. You won't be able to speak until the day this happens. Silence can be a sign of many things. They're not always good things. So we might take Zechariah's silence 
as a negative thing, something that signifies God's punishment for his lack of faith. But actually, that's not how the people in the story understand it. When Zechariah turns around and walks back out past the elaborate golden lampstand with oil lamps flickering on his right, past the golden table with the 12 loaves of bread, the presents lined up neatly in two rows of six, down the 12 steps, he finds himself then in front of this crowd of worshipers. They're murmuring, this was taking a lot longer than usual, but now he's here. They're ready to receive the blessing. You know the blessing. That time in the service when the pastor raises their hands at the end to give the people a word from God, a word of blessing and presence and care. They're waiting for that blessing. It had to happen every time. The Lord bless you and keep you. Nothing comes out of Zachariah's mouth. Silence can be a sign of many things, not always good things. It would have been completely reasonable for them to suspect that Zechariah's silence was not a good thing. Further evidence of God's prolonged absence, of God withholding that blessing of his presence. But this time, it's quite the opposite. Actually, God enables them to see Zechariah's silence as a sign that God is on the move again. This time, the silence was not a foreboding, fear-inducing silence, but one that created excitement, expectation, even hope. Do not be afraid. God hears your prayers, and God is on the move. God shuts Zachariah's mouth and gets to work growing things in barren places. God shuts Zechariah's mouth and gets to work preparing the way for the one who would announce the coming of his son. Zechariah and Elizabeth's promised son was, of course, John the Baptist, who announced the coming of Jesus, who prepared the way for the Lord by preaching and the spirit and the power of the great prophets. He got people ready for Jesus. So the silence of Zechariah is not cause for fear. It is not a further sign of God's absence, quite the opposite. God enables the worshipers gathered at the temple to see Zechariah's silence as a sign of God at work. He had seen a vision. God was on the move again. Instead of producing fear in them, it produced expectant hope. This is a word of grace for us this morning who sit uncomfortably in silence, who are afraid of what silence means. It can mean so many things, but not all of them are bad. Do not be afraid of the silence. God hears your prayers. God is at work in the silence, growing things in empty places, turning our fear into hope, preparing the way for his promises to be fulfilled at last when Christ comes again and peace and justice reign. A friend I met in Toronto once shared with me that as a young woman, she and her husband struggled with infertility, like 
Elizabeth and Zachariah and so many other people. They had prayed so hard for a child, for a busy house loud with the cries of babies and the sound of running toddlers. And they felt like they were met with silence. They felt like God didn't hear their prayers. This went on for years and years until years turned into decades. Her story did not end with an angelic messenger. It did not end with the promise of a child or with a growing belly or a house filled with noise of childhood like it did for Elizabeth. In fact, their story with infertility did not end. But she shared with me how she came to see that God was still at work in the silence. Do not be afraid of the silence. In the silence, God grew unexpected things in her, like a passion for making deep connections with those people on the fringes of society. God grew in her an unexpected love of nature. God even strengthened her relationship with her husband. And so the silence in their house is no longer a sign of what is missing, but of all the ways that God's self giving, transforming love has brought them peace. Silence can be a sign of so many things. Not all of them are bad. Do not be afraid of the silence. God hears your prayers. And if you don't believe me quite yet, if you need some more convincing, even if you have seen God at work in the silence, Well, like I said earlier, we have an opportunity on Wednesday to be together in this building or online for our blue Christmas service. This is an opportunity for us to grieve that silence in our lives, the kind that brings us fear. But it's also an opportunity for us to offer our prayers like Zechariah offered incense, to confront the silence, to sit in it, And to find God right there next to us. And then to open our mouths and join our voices with the voice of John. To prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And so I hope you'll all join us, whether it's here in person or, of course, from home. Everyone is welcome. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this gift of your word, for this gift of your promise, for this gift of your self-giving love that calms our fears. Help us to believe what we have heard and to open our mouths to testify against fear, to testify into the silence until your goodness, your mercy, and grace are known throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen.